0: This morning, I will be reading from Acts, verses 54 through 60. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. The word of God for the people of God. Today we are in week seven of our series, So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. In this series, we're hearing the stories of 10 people who lived and died in the 20th century. We're learning that saints and martyrs didn't just live and die hundreds of years ago. There are saints and martyrs living and dying for their Christian faith in the world today. We're learning what they have to teach us about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And today, our journey takes us all the way across the Pacific Ocean to an island north of Australia. Today, our journey is going to take us to a nation called Papua New Guinea. Now, Papua New Guinea is one of the most culturally diverse nations in all of the world. The population of Papua New Guinea is about 9 million people. That's about the same size as as, uh, New York City. But among those 9 million people, there are 839 different languages that are spoken. Papua New Guinea is the world's most rural nation. Almost no one in Papua New Guinea lives in a city. Most of the people who live on the island are scattered in tribes and villages throughout the island. The island itself is geologically diverse. There are mountains and rainforests and marshes and swamps. There are erupting volcanoes, earthquakes, and tsunamis are in ever-present danger. One of the things that we've learned as we've made our way through this series is just how much the world that we live in has been shaped by the powers of European colonialism. Papua New Guinea is no exception. At one time, part of the island was called German New Guinea. Another part of the island was called British New Guinea. By July of 1942, Papua New Guinea was an Australian territory. And that's where we're going to visit Papua New Guinea today. We're going to visit in July of 1942. Now, in 1942, the world, of course, was in the thick of the Second World War. Just a few months earlier, the Japanese Naval Air Force had attacked Pearl Harbor. The United States had entered the war and suddenly this culturally diverse, geologically diverse island north of Australia was one of the most coveted, one of the most contested, one of the most valuable pieces of real estate in all the world. The Japanese Navy were convinced that Papua New Guinea was the key to launching an invasion of Australia. And so in the early months of 1942, the Japanese Navy advanced, they crept slowly towards New Guinea. The... Allied forces were determined to hold on to New Guinea. They were convinced, General MacArthur was convinced, that New Guinea was the key to recapturing the Philippines. And in the early months of 1942, as they could see that the Japanese Navy was advancing towards the island, the people, and particularly the missionaries who were living in Papua New Guinea, realized that they were going to have some very difficult decisions to make. In 1942, there were hundreds of missionaries living in Papua New Guinea. They were missionaries from all around the world, missionaries from every church and denomination. There had been missionaries in New Guinea for nearly 100 years. They had built schools, they had built medical clinics, they had built churches and mission outposts. They had become a part of the fabric of New Guinea society. And as they saw the Japanese Navy advancing towards the island, these missionaries realized that they were going to have to make a choice. They could stay on the island. They could stay in harm's way. They could stay with these people. They had come to love and serve and consider to be family. Or they could get on a ship and sail to Australia. They could escape and save their own lives. In the stories of the martyrs, there's often a moment of decision just like this. In the stories of the martyrs, there's almost always a moment when one decision makes all the difference. It's been that way since the very earliest days of the Christian faith. Just a moment ago, Jane shared with us the story of a man named Stephen. Stephen is considered to be the very first martyr of the church, the first person who gave his life in witness to his faith in Jesus. Stephen was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He was a a deacon of the church. At that time, there were no wealthy Christians. Most of the people in the church were poor. And the church in Jerusalem, in particular, had many widows who needed caring for and looking after. And so as a deacon in the church, it was Stephen's job to look after those poor members of the church family. He would make his way around the city. He would visit and check in on the widows. He would deliver bread and made sure that nobody in the church family ever went hungry. And as he made his way around the city, as he was making his bread deliveries, Stephen also was always on the lookout for an opportunity to to do a little witnessing, an opportunity to share his faith. Whenever he saw a few people gathered together on a street corner, Stephen saw a congregation and he rolled up and started preaching a sermon. Stephen witnessed constantly to everyone he met as he made his way through the streets of the city of Jerusalem. Some people were converted. Some people became Christians because of Stephen's preaching and his witnessing. Some people thought it was annoying. Some people felt threatened by Stephen's witnessing. Religious leaders felt threatened by his preaching. There were religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem who believed that Stephen was leading people not towards God, but away from God. They felt that Stephen was leading people into theological error, that he was leading them away from the truths and traditions and treasures of the faith. And finally, one day, those religious leaders decided that they had had enough. And so they had Stephen arrested. They brought him before the council. They accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of making terrorist threats against the temple. They brought out false witnesses who gave false testimony against Stephen. And finally, when the prosecution rested its case, the the leader of the council turned to Stephen and he said, Well, what do you have to say for yourself? Are these things that they've said about you true? And in that moment, Stephen had a decision to make. Stephen could defend himself. He could offer testimony and call forth witnesses to contradict the false testimony that had been given. He could just keep his mouth shut. Stephen knew that what the religious leaders really wanted was to silence him and intimidate him. And it might be that if he just kept quiet, they would see that they had accomplished their goal and they would show mercy upon Stephen. He could defend himself. He could keep silent. Either one of those options might have led to him walking out of there intact. But as he sat there, looking around at the people of the council, all of those faces turned towards him, all of those ears listening to him. Stephen looked around and he said, well, how about that? I've got a congregation. And then Stephen did what he always did whenever he found himself in front of a gathered congregation. He began to preach. He started sharing the gospel, the story of God's love in Jesus and Stephen didn't share the short version of the gospel. Stephen shared the long version of the gospel story. He started all the way back with the promises that God made to Abraham in the book of Genesis, way back at the beginning of the Bible. And as he preached and preached and talked and talked, the members of the council became angrier and angrier until finally they got to the point where they were so enraged that they just couldn't take it anymore. They seized Stephen They threw him off the wall of the city. And then they cast stones at him until Stephen was dead. In the stories of the martyrs, there's almost always a moment of decision that ends up making all of the difference. In the early months of 1942, the missionaries in Papua New Guinea knew that they were going to have to make a difficult decision. Early that year, the Anglican bishop of Papua New Guinea took to the radio And he spoke to those missionaries, to all of those missionaries who were living on the island. And this is what he said. He said, we could flee, we could escape, we could save our own lives and take ourselves out of harm's way. But if we do that, he said, we will have set the cause of the church back generations. We will have committed a breach of trust that will take decades to repair. If we stay, he said, even if we perish, the church will not perish. The church will go on. And the church will be stronger because it will be built on a foundation of love and devotion and faithfulness. The bishop pleaded with the missionaries, urged them to stay at their posts, to stay in Papua New Guinea. And so that's what they did. Hundreds of missionaries stayed on the island. Nurses stayed with patients. Teachers stayed with their students. Pastors stayed with their congregations. Of course, the missionaries weren't the only ones who had a decision to make in 1942. The people, the citizens of Papua New Guinea, also knew that they were going to have to work out how they would respond when the Japanese Navy finally invaded. One young man who had to wrestle with one of those tough decisions was a young man by the name of Lucian. Now, Lucian in 1942 was only 20, maybe 21 years old. His father had been a sorcerer in one of the tribal religions of New Guinea. But his father had died when Lucian was very young. And so Lucian was taken in by some missionaries. They became his family. They raised him. He grew up attending a Christian school. He became a Christian himself. Lucian was one of those young men who you can't help but like. He was cheerful. He always had a smile on his face. He loved music. His favorite class in school was phys ed. And when finally he graduated from school, Lucian stayed on at the school as a a teacher and an evangelist. And Lucian knew that when the Japanese arrived, he was going to have to make a very difficult decision. He could stay with these people who had cared for him, these people who had become his family. He could stay with the missionaries in harm's way, or he could simply slip away Lucian was a citizen of Papua New Guinea. He looked like a New Guinean. He could simply blend into one of the tribes, one of the villages, and the Japanese would never have any reason to pay any attention to Lucian. The people of New Guinea also had a difficult decision to make. And then the moment arrived. In July of 1942, the Japanese Navy launched a massive invasion of New Guinea. Most of the missionaries lived along the coast, and as the Japanese soldiers were landing, the missionaries made their way inland, but the missionaries were not prepared. They were not equipped for survival in the rainforests and the mountains and the swamps and the marshes. They were not equipped to navigate encounters with all of the tribes of New Guinea with their 839 different languages, and that is where Lucian came in. As the Japanese were landing, somebody asked Lucian, Lucian, what are you going to do And Lucian said, I will stay with the fathers and the sisters. And that's what he did. Lucian stayed with a group of missionaries. He stayed with a group of priests and nuns and teachers and nurses and even children who were in the missionaries' families. He led them inland. He led them into the island. He led them into the forest. And then he cared for them. He guided them. He provided for them. He kept them alive day after day. After day. And one day they came to a village. And the missionaries decided to ask the people of the village for assistance. One of the men of the village led Lucian away from the group. He led Lucian into the forest to a place where there was a stream. It's not clear what exactly happened in the forest there by the stream. It's not clear if Lucian thought that this man was providing support and help. Maybe Lucian thought that this man was leading him to a source of fresh drinking water. Or maybe Lucian knew exactly what was about to happen. There in the forest, by the stream, the man attacked Lucian with an axe. When Lucian was dead, the people of the village rounded up the rest of the missionaries and turned them over to the Japanese soldiers. They were tortured, they were interrogated, and then they were beheaded on the beach, according to the Japanese custom, even the children in the group. 333 church workers lost their lives in the Japanese invasion of New Guinea. And the people of the island never forgot those 333 New Guinean martyrs. They never forgot Lucian. When the war was over, people on New Guinea gathered together and they built a church. And they called it St. Lucian's in Lucian's honor. And one day a, a bishop was visiting the island, and he took a tour of the church. As he was making his way around this church that was named in honor of this young man who lost his life because he refused to abandon his church family, as he was hearing the story of Lucian, as he was hearing the story of the church, his guide on this journey was a a local architect who had donated his services in order to get this church built. And at some point during the tour, the bishop turned to this guide, this architect, and said, do you know? Do you know who it was who killed Lucian? The man said, I do. It was me. I killed Lucian. At some point after the end of the war, God worked a miracle of transformation. This man who had murdered Lucian in the woods, there by the stream, experienced God's grace and God's forgiveness. And he became a believer. He became a follower of Jesus. He was baptized he took on a new Christian name. He adopted the name of Lucian, started calling himself Lucian. He donated his services as an architect to make sure that this church would be constructed. And then he became a leader in the congregation, this church that became the heart of its community over the years. God worked a miracle of transformation after that tragedy had taken place. And that's how it goes. Since the very earliest days of the Christian faith, this is how the story goes. In the story of the death of Stephen, as the book of Acts is telling us how Stephen died for his faith. The story, the Bible gives us this detail, almost a footnote to the story. As the story is telling us about these religious leaders who are casting their stones at Stephen, it tells us that while they're doing that, there was a man who was watching over their coats. They took off their long outer robes because execution is hot and sweaty business, and they left their long outer robes at the feet of a man who was trusted by all of them, a young man by the name of Saul. If we keep reading the book of Acts, just a few verses later, we read the story of a moment when God works a miracle of transformation. The same Saul who was present at the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, has an encounter with the risen Jesus. He experiences God's grace and forgiveness. A miracle of transformation is worked in his heart, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. He becomes a believer. He's baptized, and he becomes better known to the world as Paul the Apostle. God used Paul to spread the Christian faith to many nations. God used Paul to write many of the books of the New Testament. God used Paul God used Paul to prove that the Anglican bishop of Papua New Guinea was right when he said, even if we perish, the church will not perish. Even if we perish, the church will go on. If we can remain faithful to God and to each other, if we tell the story of God's love in Jesus in our words and in our deeds, then there is no army on earth. There is no persecution, not even our deaths can stop the miracle of transformation, the miracle of God's love from taking root in this place. The church goes on. One miracle at a time. One decision at a time. One twist in the story at a time. The church goes on. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the witness of Lucian and for all of those other people who gave their lives out of love and faithfulness and devotion. God, we pray that you would create that kind of love and faithfulness and devotion in this place. Bind us together. Make us into the kind of family that Lucian experienced when he was taken in by the missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Make us faithful to one another. Give us eyes to truly see one another and love one another as we are. That the world might see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.